Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of uh, hosting uh, Kaylee McMahon. Uh, welcome to the show, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. Good, awesome. And uh, thank you for taking the time today, Kaylee. Uh, help us get started with um, you know, your background, how you came to multifamily uh, in general. I'll try to be brief, but I'm somebody that um, learns things pretty quickly, so I get bored and then I move on. So I've done everything under the sun, whether it's um, IT, um, being an EMT, nannying, advertising sales, dental sales, building offices. I mean, all kinds of different things. And uh, whether it was direct management or the career itself, I just got bored. I learned it and got bored. Um, or wasn't being treated well, so I left. Um, but the problem really is, is that um, if something is something, or if something provides lifelong learning, that's what makes me happy. I'm a, a lifelong learner, so it's really hard for me to find something where you really have to keep learning um, and something that's interesting and on a, um, on a macro scale applicable. So I have a degree in nutrition uh, from Texas A&M, uh, molecular and experimental nutrition. So meaning I have probably double the sciences of all the other regular nutrition majors. It's meant for someone wanting to go into um, a pre-med program or uh, go be a DDS or MD. Um, but unfortunately when we're in the weeds, going through OCHEM and all that kind of stuff. BioCHEM was fine, but um, I just was like, I just don't want to do this forever. You know, once mm -hmm. I got to the nutrition level of being able to, from a 30,000 foot view, see how does all that stuff get affected by this and what does it really do to someone's life and uh, their cholesterol and their behaviors and their mindset and I mean, all kinds of different things. Because um, I, like, I like people, but um, doing all kinds of things and then getting into real estate basically to fund a business. Uh, it was an accident. Uh, I didn't really actually want to get into real estate. A friend of mine, I had a, a personal concierge business, which basically worked with wealthy people to manage their households, their vehicles, their lawn care, their schedules, their bill pay, whatever, you know, it's, it's a house manager essentially. Um, mm -hmm. But I built a business where you contract yourself out or I would um, and put myself on retainer. So I'd work for like, two hour, four hour blocks of time or a whole day, but you basically booked me ahead of time and I'd come on a regular scheduled basis mm -hmm. and keep maintaining all the things that, you know, we kind of put systems in place for. So that was really cool. And there's definitely a need for that in Dallas, for sure. There's a lot of really wealthy people here, um, but I am one person. And so I don't have a business degree, but one person trying to run the show, like that's cool, but it's only gonna last for so long. You know, um, if you've read, um, for Chef Dad, like I'm sure plenty of absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. they cover the um, the four quadrants, you know. Um, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, what ESBI quadrants? Correct, um, correct. Mm -hmm. so I'm like, well, right now I'm I'm at least you know S. I'm self-employed, 
but again, you get to that point where um, I just get tired and worn out and I can only do so much, you know, correct, you correct. create mm -hmm. more time, but you can create more jobs. You can create more opportunities by scaling. And I just, without a business degree, didn't understand that concept at all. Correct. So a friend mentioned that and he goes, well, you know what you could do, you could get into real estate and, you know, sell a few houses a year. Uh, and then take that cash and reinvest it into that other business and be able to pay for marketing systems, advertising people, all that stuff. And so I was like, Oh, okay. So basically that's what happened. I got into real estate within about a month and a half, took the test, did it, um, started doing apartment locating because, mm -hmm. uh, in Dallas, there's a very like lucrative area of Dallas. That's, um, apartments that are at least 2000 plus a month. Um, and those apartments, uh, they, give really good concession so so anyway so i've been on that side of it so that would be the leasing i guess not really so in texas uh they require any agent so i spent the time and the money to go you know it's thousands of dollars to go become an agent i mean it wasn't for me because i actually got my um, license certificate from groupon mm. and self-taught everything to myself and did a weekend review course that was just like two days and then took the test so you just paid for the that course the weekend and then the fees for the test itself but most people take a long several month long class that's like two to five thousand dollars i'm like that's ridiculous so um I'm, I'm good at being self-taught but um on the leasing side so there's leasing agents right that you have mm -hmm. in front of sure uh, that's someone employed by that apartment to do that job so i'm mm -hmm. a, a free agent if you will able to go find whatever whoever but that's the person that brings clients to the building um and in texas you have to be a licensed real estate agent to do that so there's states that don't require that. Like I've placed people back then. I, I placed people in Colorado uh, and I think Florida. There's a couple states where they don't require um, you to be a licensed agent in that state, and so you could literally just send them and mm. still make fees. But um, but here you have to be an agent. So um, so I was doing basically like placing someone in a rental house, but it's just a rental apartment or sure. uh, doing it that way. So it started on that side. Um, and I built a system where I figured out how to get 10 to 15 of those closed a month. And I was kind of like, okay, I don't want to do this forever. I really don't have any passion for this or it doesn't tie into my why at all. And I was still in that phase discovering that too. I see. But um, then I quickly got bored and then went into condo sales, got bored, went into selling high-end homes, got bored, went into, um, I did flip my first house, horrendous experience. Um, I still have it now, but I mean, the tenant's paying, like, you know how the, the rule is like $1 per um, price of the house or so, sure. it, it's way the over the Yeah, house. it's, it's sometimes they say it's the 1% or the 2% rule, depending on, you know, which, which side of the house or which uh, side of the coast you're looking at, I guess, you know. Yeah, the 1% rule. So he's paying way over that and he's, it's a steel company that's employing him and he's been the easiest tenant ever. So I'm not mad and I'm about to refi it too. So it's, it's fine. Awesome. <laughs> it really didn't. Awesome. <laughs> that bad I see. but I didn't like it because you have these grown men that you're paying to do a job and I'm like why am I babysitting you why are you calling me on Fridays for your party money and the plumbing doesn't work no you're not getting paid you know and so I just was like is this in my head I was going to quickly go from one to ten a month and scale that mm -hmm. but I was like it's not happening um and I don't feel like creating a system to manage these adult people because you kind of only can to some level when they're a contractor they're not sure. your employee Right, right. I really didn't want to build a flipping business. I so, see. so then I met someone that flipped apartments 
And I was like, wow, uh, totally different experience. Uh, a lot more respect is involved with doing business with other uh, apartment owners. Um, and I think the contractors, they're a lot more professional uh, for the most part, and they get a lot more done a lot quicker. And they're like, it's just a smaller industry, I think. And so absolutely. People can only get away with so much. So absolutely, absolutely. And just for our viewers uh, to introduce uh, you more further is um, Kaylee goes by the Apartment Queen. That's her brand. Uh, she hosts a podcast, First Leading Ladies. Uh, she has been a general partner and a sponsor in 731 doors. Uh, that would be perhaps uh, maybe five, six uh, assets. Uh, Kaylee, is that about right? Six, yes. Six assets, awesome. And she is uh, predominantly in uh, assets, uh, has her assets uh, tied mostly in Texas and perhaps uh, uh, in some other states as well. So help us get started, Kaylee, in, in terms of um, how, what, a, what is a syndication? Like for someone who doesn't know what a syndication is, could you help us understand in layman terms what that means and how it is structured and things like that? Yeah, in layman's terms, it's just pooling money together from different people. Like, that's really it. And there's a lot of, like, specifics behind which type of syndication you choose. Um, there's, there's different regulations and classes, if you will, of types of syndications. But essentially, it's just pulling money together. Uh, and currently, it will change uh, in the next couple of months here. But currently, uh, accredited and sophisticated investors are the individuals that are able to get in. So a lot of people think like, oh, you gotta be smart and rich. Yes, but no. I mean, for example, if your net worth is a million bucks, like it's a couple net worth sure. of a bucks minus your house, bam, you're in, you know? Sure. Or if you make 200,000 plus a year for two years, bam, you're in, you know? So it's not like that exclusive of a club sure, um, sure. that people tell me anyway. But again, that's changing with regulation CF at the end of June, so. My grandma could get in and my, my sisters and brothers can get in. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, pulling money together to, and, and you can syndicate lots of things in life. But the way I use syndication is I use it to purchase a very large property so that we can have a very professional, like I mentioned earlier, property manager, uh, construction crew, maintenance person, and have staff and have uh, systems in place to run a business. So. That is that is very correct, Kelly. You said it right there that you can syndicate businesses and different asset classes and things like that. And typically, uh, the sort of the red line is that something that a, a common person is not able to buy by themselves is just bigger. That it's much bigger and requires a, a bit of professional, different uh, you know, uh, uh, different types of uh, ends of uh, the business, whether it's management, operations, and acquisitions and things like that. So uh, you kind of pull together the investor money to bring it along. Uh, so coming back to multifamily, uh, Keely here, um, how is your uh, syndication strategy, meaning are there like some investors do like a value add, some investors will do like vacant distress uh, assets or someone will do like really premium properties and it's more about yield play at that point. Could you help us understand uh, what your uh, strategy is and why it is that way, you know? Yeah, so I probably do the same stuff as everybody else. Um, we look for C-class, uh, well, C, C minus to B minus class properties um, mm -hmm. right now focusing in Dallas, but in markets that are um, friendly for landlords that are tax friendly and that are business friendly. Um, so 
value add meaning I wish I could throw it up for you this offer I just lost just now it makes me so so mad um, because for me like a value add means like how much meat is on the bone you know so operationally and on the like what you look at with your eyeballs so on this particular deal I'm mean, thinking of my head I mean the couple had owned it for 15 years and had done nothing to it so it's awesome. a mid-70s asset and what that means is that uh, and it was also in an A minus class area so uh, it would have been something where you, you what you want to do is this couple never raise the rents, you know, over time. And so you can wow. add mm -hmm. by raising the rents uh, below market, but up to market. Um, you want to renovate the units or we do so that everyone enjoys a nicer space. So new kitchen, new bathrooms, new flooring, like the whole thing is redone and very nice. Um, but it's not, you know, a class accommodations where you have granite and you have, um, stainless steel, it's like one level below that where we'll do black appliances and we'll do, um, you know, the tile backsplash, just make it really nice. But sure. so, so basically what the interior renovation value add does, it adds value to the asset itself. And mm -hmm. then the rents obviously raises the amount of value the business has because of its income. Sure. Uh, and then what else? Um, that's, I mean, and then the exterior part of it where you change the curb appeal and change the reputation of the property. So that's sure. the other value part is that now it gets more traffic, more attention, uh, its own marketing essentially. Um, so it's just uh, value add is adding value to the, the apartment. Absolutely, absolutely. So in, in other words, you are raising the net operating income or the NOI as we call it, whether uh, you know that's by raising the rents or reducing the expenses. So value add would be, hey, you're buying an asset that needs somehow operational or physical work, increasing the bottom line and hence increasing the valuation and we are giving those uh, you know sort of earned positive returns to the investors right so for uh, folks who may not understand kaylee like i have heard uh, comments from people saying hey you know oh blah 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 syndications is a scary world or you know i'm not too sure and things like that could you help us understand how syndications are insulated, whether it's financing, whether it's law, uh, and you know how uh, conservative they are? Uh, that way, the you know the passive investors are protected, and uh, once they understand how a syndication is composed and why uh, you know it is better for passive investors to kind of maybe shun the Wall Street and look actively towards syndications. What are the benefits of it? Uh, could you maybe help us understand how it helps the passive investors? Let me, oh God, I'm not going to be able to get it fast enough. Let me grab a book real quick. I'm reading it right now where there's, there's, there's four, there's four litmus tests, you know, to what would be considered a syndication and Essentially, if you are, um, if you're selling um, interest in something, if you're going to do it for profit, uh, if you're letting the people be passive in the deal and not be the active and you're investing on their behalf. And there's one more and that's why I was like, I need to go grab the book. But um, <laughs> anyway, so there's these four litmus tests that you meet. And what's crazy is no matter if you call it a shared interest, a JV, a trust, whatever, there's so many different structures that you sure. can do. Mm -hmm. that that question constantly from people in single family wanting to maybe do multi or pool money together to do something in single family. Sure. And I'm like, do you realize that you're selling a security? Like you, you're having someone come in that's not doing anything on the property. They're making no decisions. You're taking their money though, because like an IRA or retirement account, sure. that's a rule. You can't do something for the benefit for yourself or your spouse, or your children or any direct descendants. Right. So you have to invest with somebody else, but people invest in like JVs, 
um, which, I mean, technically it takes two people to become a securitized offering, technically. Usually it becomes a problem or a red flag when it's five or more, so usually that's when people start doing securitized offering. But securitized, meaning that the Securities and Exchange Commission is fully aware that this offering or this deal or this thing is out there, and there are certain protections, and again, I would need to grab this book, it's by Jillian Sidoti, I'm finishing her, the crowdfunding myth book, but it, it goes through like the the 1933 when uh, I can't remember which ruling, but there's several different rulings that came out to basically be able to create more cash flow in the, in the market sure. and be able to take individuals who are wealthy and have them invest in apartments because they're businesses or businesses and be able to stimulate the economy. But you have to have some certain protections in place if you're going to have individuals that maybe don't know the sponsors. So there's so many different ways that we're, that the SEC protects investors um, and you know, it's just, it's a serious thing when it comes to us as operators, you know, so, uh, if we're running away with people's money, uh, that's not just, we're going to jail, but we can never do anything in like real estate ever again. Like I also have a residential brokerage license, kind of don't use it, but actually well, I'm hiring two agents, so they use it, but you know, I couldn't even do that anymore, um, because you're labeled as a bad actor. Um, so Anyway, it, it protects uh, the investors involved in the deal um, so that they don't get their money taken from them. You know, they don't end up with, with zero. So, um, and the SEC goes after that individual. Um, so it's not like this person has to hire a private investigator mm -hmm. and they have to take care of it themselves. It goes through a, a large agency that has a lot of power. So uh, that helps hopefully for like some kind of um, um, relief of feeling that there's risk uh, and then people that are doing those those jvs those whatever they don't have those rules to follow at all the only rules they have are what is in the operating agreement sure. and a lot of people not saying everybody but a lot of people don't read it line by line what i like to do in a new partnership is literally get on the phone in person whatever it is and go paragraph by paragraph through our operating agreement and make sure it's not just a a general boilerplate example of one that we're putting in what our specific wants and needs are votes, who's staying in what lane, like how this works, um, because it just avoids conflict later. But um, that's your only protection is just that piece of paper, you know, and that can become, depending on how crafty the person on the other end is or how like money insulated they are, that could take years to get through a lawsuit to see anything. Sure, sure. And also uh, speak to uh, Kaylee, like in terms of, uh, you know, how the financing is also very uh, secure and a lot of ends are covered in a lot of multifamily assets than a uh, typical, you know, let's say a single family uh, in general that you would finance. Could you maybe speak to, you know, how conservative it is, what the net worth and all those things are involved in, in these uh, asset classes? In a summarized way, that's going to be really hard. Sure. Um, I mean, we just need a quick summary, actually, if you can. Because I've been very uh, up to date with all the capital market changes, right? Literally sure. every week, the way that lending is happening is changing. Sure, sure. Hmm. You know, I'm kind of happy that it's changing the way that it is because what's happening is we always have a risk of leveraging something really high. So sure. in single family, um, I mean... Back in 08, 09, you know, we were seeing people fall out of, of uh, deals where they had over leveraged 90%, 100%, and now that's not allowed like at all. The highest you can go is 80%. Uh, and now after COVID or, or right now, the highest we can go as of last week is 65%. They took it all the way down to 55% uh, leverage. So meaning that you have to have so much cash available, which means that your cash would be sitting in accounts. And so no matter what happened, uh, to the economy or whatever, you have these cash reserves to be able to take care of what you Absolutely. need for your expenses. Absolutely. 
Right. So there's so many um, stress tests, if you will, that we personally, every syndicator and every sponsor is different, but in their underwriting, that's mm -hmm. where you look for those things. And I have a list of Q&A that I always have either on our slide deck when we're presenting something or I tell investors to ask mm -hmm. um, because they won't want to know everything. But for example, you know, what is the exit cap rate? Um, so meaning you can obviously calculate what you're buying it at and then on exit, uh, we increase our cap rate. Um, we assume it'll be more unstabilized, if you will. So, sure. okay, worst case, tomorrow war breaks out. You know what I mean? And people still have a place to live, but like our vacancy will probably increase 10%. Our occupancy, I mean, um, our bad debt will probably increase as well. And so we just, we put in um, tests for that. Plus, um, like agency debt, so uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, multifamily loans, mm -hmm they require right now a minimum of 1.25% debt service coverage, meaning, okay, so you're paying X amount every month in mortgage payments, uh, P&I uh, payments, or sorry, uh, principal interest, or whatever your payment is, and then what do you owe, uh, or sorry, what is your cash flow? So what's sure. the difference between those two things? And so, uh, so far, the deals that I have personally bought into that are smaller, they have a really high debt service coverage ratio, so they're around like two or higher. And then the people mm -hmm. that I've done big, big deals with, but, but that those deals are not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Sure. Like mm -hmm. it's 250 units and you have five vacancies. It's not that big of a deal. Sure. Whereas mm -hmm. on a smaller one, it is a big deal. Absolutely. You know, so I, mm -hmm. I like having that big spread, you know, between uh, what we owe every month and what it, or what we're making every month and what it costs to keep the lights on. So sure. um, having those, um, those stress tests in place are really important and there's many more. Um, mm -hmm. And you literally just ask, your sponsor like what stress test do you use right now the lenders are, are asking us or actually requiring us excuse me hmm. to put aside um, six to twelve months worth of reserve money in addition to they normally require 250 to 350 per unit mm -hmm. uh, right now they're asking for us to put it aside for six to twelve months in an escrow account where you can't even touch it so you can't use pay the mortgage you can't use it to pay for innovations nothing they just want it so now we have to raise even more capital so just the way that they're structuring things right now, it inherently is just more conservative, which is good because, you know, I think COVID's gonna hit again and it will be well prepared. Plus personally, we like on our existing deals, I wanted to make sure a rule that I met or I um, took from somebody else that has like 30,000 units and actually two other guys agreed with him. Um, they made it through the last downturn, right? And so this may be more of a depression. We have no idea, but I think it's, it's just a recession with a little bit of like um, national disaster mixed in there. So it's a little, a little bit different, sure. but, um, but they were like, so what I do is that for every hundred units, I put about a hundred K aside mm -hmm. uh, just for extra reserves. And then my mentor, he was like, I would actually double that if I was you, just in case, like go ahead and just put that aside and then anything remaining, distribute it fine. Um, but if, you know, yeah. So just have to ask what the um, stress tests are to kind of cover CYA, you know, if something happens or when something happens. Sure, sure, sure. And and you said it right, that there are just so many ways that, uh, you know, the deals are insulated, whether it's financing, whether how we underwrite, you know, you spoke about the different uh, stress points or the sensitivity analysis that we do for these deals. Those are all very important points uh, to mention. And, and those are the ones that keep uh, sort of the, uh, the assets, so to speak, that any variations that happen, you know, you still have the income, you still are servicing the debt, you know, 
worse come worse, you may start the renovations uh, when a COVID crisis like this happens and you're still servicing the debt, paying any of the, uh, you know, passive investors that we have, you know. So those are all good points. Uh, so uh, Kaylee, just uh, shifting subjects a little bit, you spoke about a different uh, background that you have, you know, you have done, you, you know, like, uh, you know, the medical background that you said, then you did uh, concierge, then you did brokerage and all that, right? And a common theme that I have seen is uh, I think people are coming to multifamily investing personally also for the assurity and the passivity that it offers, right? And could you maybe speak to like, you know, how did your first deal came about? And, uh, you know, how can you, could you maybe help us walk through that, you know, what was going through your mind and how probably you were very petrified back then that, oh, I'm just taking a big deal down. Could you help us, uh, like, you know, there are, I mean, in our podcast, I get a lot of newer investors as well who are, you know, looking and, hey, I'm trying to understand what it is in it, uh, in an uh, experienced person like you uh, who has done several deals now, uh, what it is like to kind of take the education, uh, you know, walk through the deal, the financing, the money raise. Uh, could you help us understand some of those aspects as well? Um, so I did it differently than some people do. And some people, there's all kinds of people. So I, I come from a background of no one that owns their own business. None of my family members are doctors, business owners, nothing like they, they work at Dairy Queen. You know what I mean? So like mm. no one can tell me how to even write a business plan. Again, I didn't go to business school. So, um, a lot of it came from spending about a year of just like engulfing every multifamily book there was going to every con uh, conference there was about twice a month. I was going to stuff. Um, just trying to learn as much as possible. And, you know, I, I enjoy learning and reading. So it's been good. And actually during this, like, you know, lockdown time, I've, I finished all of my multifamily books. I finished actually all of the like auxiliary books that were related to uh, crowdfunding and like all, all kinds of stuff. But, um, you know, so it was learning at first. And then, you know, I am, I'm, I would say I'm a risk taker, but um, not really. Like actually then when I learn what guys do, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not a risk taker mm. in comparison. Um, and also in comparison to Wall Street, in comparison to other things, equity markets and stuff. So, um, but uh, one thing I'll say is, is it took about a year for me to get from learning to get into a position where I understood what I was conceptually doing. And it, it flips in the real world, totally different, not the same, um, but conceptually. Uh, so then um, somebody, uh, oh, a, men a mentor of mine, actually everything mm -hmm. in this built the relationships really, truly like no matter how much you want to make it efficient, no matter how much you want to say, I have 10 brokers and I'm going to call all 10 of them by a ringless voicemail, leave them a voicemail. This is how we're going to communicate. Currently they just haven't done it that way. They don't, you know, and maybe the younger generation of brokers will, I don't know because now we can't really do the in-person, you know, hang out thing, have cigars kind of thing. But, um, but it is a relationship business. And so this was just a property or yeah, at the time it was one mm -hmm. that was a really good deal. Um, the only question mark would have been where, where it was located. And it wasn't because it was like crime ridden, that would have been the deal breaker, mm -hmm. but it was just because the population didn't meet our metrics. Um, mm -hmm. And normally that would be a deal breaker, but um, it was a good deal. So he, uh, he said, you know what, I'm focusing on Phoenix right now. I'm flying there all the time, working on it. Because like, if you go to a new area, and that's why I stay in my sandbox of like Dallas, I could literally go, that zip code is this cap rate, that zip code, you know, I just know. 
um, because it's my backyard or I drive around and like, oh man, that one has high grass. Like I need to bug that owner or whatever. I just know in my area. Whereas like when you go to a new market, you then have to find a whole new team of contractors that are good and that deliver and they don't rip you off. You have to find a good property manager, same thing that they control, they can control and hold your trust accounts, you know, paying the bills and all that stuff. And it's, it's a lot of work. So he was like, I, I'm, my brain is somewhere else. So these popped up and I did the underwriting and it's a good deal. Do you want to look at this? So I was like, uh, doesn't really meet the metrics. Cause I was, I was ready to go big, big, big. Like I was looking at 227 units. I was looking at 150 units and stuff. Um, cause my mentor before him was like, okay, you have to start at at least 70. You know, you want someone that can full-time be a property manager and full-time maintenance. Um, but it ended up being, this was 26. So I was like, ugh. But as like just the universe would have it, um, I got accepted. I got the LOI accepted, and then um, I had basically took all the cash that I had mm. from the last year. Um, and I'm not a state like a savings account person. I like will sure. stick, it, stick it in a life insurance policy. I'll like I you know just so I don't spend it. But sure. um, but uh, that was the one time I did happen to have a, a chunk of change, and so. That was the earnest money that I needed. That was the uh, inspection money that I needed. That was, um, what else did we have to pay for? Oh, the the, the retainer fee for the attorney. Sure. Uh, it was like one more thing, I think. But but anyway, those initial uh, costs, because it was just me at the time. All of this capital, out. so to speak. Right. Yeah, so it was just me trying to figure this out at the time. And, and I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll syndicate the rest later, you know? And so um, pretty much we got into it and, um, you know, we did our inspections. I don't know what I'm doing. So you kind of trust your, your crew to go through with their iPad and have all the things they're looking for and get sure. per unit. Um, the property managers there with you too, doing lease audits, you know, making sure that what they say is there. And, um, and at the time I was also still looking for a possible partner or partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, anyway, so it was, it was, it was, it was hard. It was really hard, but I got the deal because uh, it was a relationship with that mentor, but not saying that a mentor ever hands you something that was kind of just, just happened to work that way. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really just the brokerage relationship that he had with the broker. Mm-hmm. And then he actually passed the broker off to me. That's how it worked. Cause he's like, I'm not going to take him down. Okay. Leave me the broker, take it from here. Blah, blah, blah. So sure, sure. it was that relationship. And it was a deal where the sellers uh, or sorry, the buyers were from another state. And so they were, they fell out of due diligence. So now when I look for deals, um, that's one thing I always stress to the broker. What is their motivation? If they're not a motivated seller, I don't want to look at any of the paperwork. I don't care. Like I I don't care because I've gotten into those deals where I had two sellers. What ended up happening was this deal got under contract. And then in that time frame of like December, uh, the apartment down the street, mother passed and it was in a trust. The local accountant found out that he was selling. So they called me and asked, would you sell or would you buy this one too? So then it ended up being 51 units. So then it made mm-hmm. sense to have a property manager and it made a lot more sense sure. to have it be out there. Cause I'm like, well, yeah, we have somebody that can, that can handle this day to day. Absolutely. Um, but it was, I mean, it was, it was super hard. Um, and, and just saying that, looking back at the type of seller, someone that wasn't motivated, you know, there are a lot of uh, negotiation tactics and a lot of um, ways to trade things that just, he didn't care. He, he just didn't give a rip, you know? So where I was like, okay, well, here's what I need. Let's be reasonable. He'd be like, give me the finger. And, and like, we fell out a contract one time because he wouldn't respond to me. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, 
it was not a pleasant experience, but you know, we made it through by the skin of my teeth, um, and you know, raised all the money again by the skin of my freaking teeth. But, um, because it was my first deal, you know, I, I hadn't raised capital before I hadn't, and I was doing everything on my own. And I look back at that and it was necessary. I have a lot of ownership in that deal, which is really nice because then I've kind of humbled myself and gotten involved with bigger deals where I have way smaller of a slice of the pie. Um, but for example, like the government loans that we've been seeing that came out, you know, we were able to apply for several different loans and I was able to get them approved and move them to the property for whatever use we need um, because I was owner, you know what I mean? And all the other ones, I'm just like, well, I guess the, you know, basically the main person, they do that part, you know, fine. But um, I anyway. I, awesome, awesome. I know first deal is important. You get started and I think you gain traction and more importantly, the brokers start to get very seriously. I think that's the best part. And you're, you start to kind of see that um, you know, seriousness within brokers that they will, you know, share deals with you sometimes off market deals too. you know, the pocket listings as we call it. So uh, Kelly, uh, now as hard market as it is, right, you know, deals are very hard to come by. So uh, for example, when the deal comes to you, uh, what are the quick steps you take to maybe understand whether, uh, you know, the deal is overpriced or the deal makes sense? Uh, could you maybe help us walk through what are the quick first steps you take to kind of uh, understand whether it's something you want to pursue or not? Well, the first question, so I have an acquisitions person. So the first things that Angela asks for is she says, um, what, uh, what is the seller's motivation? What is the whisper price? Um, what is the best offer that they have refused? Um, just trying to kind of get a frame of mind. And, and that's, that's, that's pretty much good enough. You know, um, then when it comes to looking at the actual, you say, Hey, send me the route roll T12 or T24. That's actually awesome. Um, but send me those pieces of information so I can put it in my underwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, now I also ask for a co-star report because for me, uh, it's important to know, uh, the infill cap rate and you can Google that stuff, but it's not as accurate. I don't think as co-star. So um, I'll ask for a full report. And then you can also see market comps. Um, so for us, we want comps that are, uh, we want what we're buying to be 15 to 20% below um, market rent on all floor plans uh, consistently. So mm-hmm. a couple of quick litmus tests are, you know, okay, what is the, the infill cap rate and what is the cap rate that they're wanting? Because then I'll kind of straight up ask the broker, I'm like, is that like the best they can do? Or can we actually meet like the actual market cap, you know? So that's one thing. Um, expense ratio is another thing. So you want to kind of figure out before you ever put any effort into looking at it, like physically, mm-hmm. um, are their expenses high? Are their expenses low? And it's funny because both mean something. So if their expenses sure. are high, obviously that's an opportunity to get in there. Well, you got to go look at what is high. Like, sure. is it insurance? And I go, okay, well, my insurance broker uh, has one of the four programs in the country where we know we can get this huge, large group discount and I can get it less. Uh, things that you know by knowing your numbers of, you know, what your expenses sure. mm-hmm. are or will be, um, you can say, okay, we could save money on um, the monthly uh, expenses. And, or if it's low, sometimes then you kind of have to go look at the property later and remember that because it's like, well, I've had property managers run my property at like freaking 23, 25%, you know, and I'm like, that's not okay. We need to keep up the landscaping. We need to make sure that we're watering the place. We need to make sure that our security cameras are on. We need to make, you know what I mean? Like there are a lot of sure. other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like kind of things that are like wrong, you know what I mean? Just so opportunities to sure, sure. the property. So those are a few, sure. a few things. 
and then knowing kind of like average, I guess, price per door in that area for that class. Mm -hmm. That's another thing to know too. Um, because if you just already know, if you're looking at something and again, you're talking to me, right? And I just had dinner with someone last night that's been in commercial for 40 years. And him and his partner, Doug, have like 340 something units that they bought in Addison, Texas, like, I think he said like 10 years ago. And so then he calculated out like what they bought it at. And I was like, well, you disgust me because like, it's not like that anymore. I can't buy. Y'all bought that at 21K a unit. Like that's how I bought something in West Texas. I can't buy it like that now. Sure. He's like, yeah, we just refinanced out 70K a door. I'm like, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't do that right now, but anyway. that was the world then, but it is very different now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, will, it will change again. Um, sure. Not as uh, drastically as it did, but um, so there's, there's a few, yeah. Litmus tests, um, you know, knowing. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, just a couple of few things uh, uh, now, Kaylee, as experienced as you are now uh, and you have seen many deals so far, uh, could you help us in terms of what are the good advice you have received over the years uh, that has uh, kind of helped you uh, stay in your lanes uh, and, you know, be successful uh, in the investing world? What are some of those tips and tricks that you have learned uh, maybe some from others, you know? There's a lot. Um, and a lot of it, it's interesting when you're in multifamily, you are no longer, um, you know, people, I don't think you're an investor anymore. You're a business owner. You are a president of a company and it's your job to lead. And being a leader requires you to have systems in place and be able to have expectations of people and be able to have meetings on a regular basis where you could sit there and go, okay, here's what we're expecting. Where are we at tracking with that? Um, and then also as a leader, being able to delegate and let people do do their expertise, do their job, stay in their lane. You know, that's, that's very hard for me, but um, all you can really do, even if someone has their hands on your financials, all you can do is check in once a month and check on them. And if things aren't lining up, okay, do something about it. But otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to practice more stoicism now. You can't control what you didn't create, what's outside your body. Like, if someone else is doing that, you just have to kind of let them, I mean, again, check their references, check their background, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, some, a certain level after everyone said they're a great property manager or whatever, you just got to let them rock and roll. Mm -hmm. uh, delegating, um, learning how to listen more. Um, so when someone like, uh, for example, I just got a couple messages from my property manager, like kind of telling me a bunch of problems. And that used to really, really frustrate me. It used to be like, what is, what is all this drama? What are all these problems? Um, but now I realize that all I have to do is ask, how can I help mm -hmm. and tell them how I can help and then we'll fix sure. it. Your, your problem, your solutions based versus, uh, problems based. That's also another huge thing mm -hmm. uh, as a leader. But I mean, there's so many things, even in negotiating, one of the biggest things I've learned and honestly in life, everything is a negotiation. I don't <laughs> care what you say. Everybody, like I annoy people. I really do. Um, because people that are obviously uncomfortable negotiating and it's not even an obvious negotiation. I'll just say this, you know, this thing isn't working. Can we, I really need this. How can we make that work for you and for me? And, you know, basically they're like stonewalling, like, no, you know, I'm like, absolutely. I think on. I know negotiation and commun communication and, you know, how you lay things out, uh, definitely go hand in hand. That's, that's for sure. And, and a deal, keep that in mind too, because the biggest thing I learned from my buddy Carrie was, okay, if you're all pent up and been out of shape and like the brokers calling you, texting you, emailing you, not really respecting your time and they want an answer now and yada, yada. He goes literally just email him or her, whoever, and just say, you know what, I'm, um, I'm going to think on it tonight. 
and I'll, I'll get back to you tomorrow and I'll respond to you via email. Or um, if it's the weekend, same thing, because it just helps everybody just cool down. Again, the ball is in your court and then moving forward the next, and you get some time to think, and then you can be more creative with your solution instead of like acting out of um, emotions. That's awesome. That's awesome. And moving further, uh, uh, Kaylee, what, what are some of your near term, like three to five year goals? Um, you want to complete the syndications that you have, or you want to take on new, newer projects or perhaps expand it to different states? Uh, what are some things you are looking forward to? So I'm trying to kind of remain open-minded because, you know, the first year that I actually started syndicating, my goal was to be in a thousand doors. And what I really learned was it's not really about the number of doors. It's more about the type of project, you know, the, how quality the deal is, how much meat on the bone is left, what kind of market is it in? What can you really do with it? Is this something that's a two-time equity multiple, three-time equity multiple? Like what, what are you actually dealing with? And if it's a good deal, it's okay to go down in the amount of doors, you know what I mean? Um, because you want success. Um, so what was the question again? Uh, just, you know, things you are looking forward oh, to in, in the uh, sort of in the near term, uh, you know? Yes. So uh, now it's kind of fluid because I just know that for me, I can see the 30,000 foot view, you know, in 2030, our goal as a company is to create 1 billion more female investors. Mm -hmm. So if that's, I mean, what is that 10 years from now? Sure. Steps in, and then there's more after that but you know I don't know the exact steps to get there but it's funny because you know the more you put what your goals are the more things just kind of happen and come into sure. alignment sure. so I don't really like restricting myself to certain goals sometimes because you don't let in that flow so I mean I just knew for example that if I wanted to be in a position to I, I my struggle in multifamily has been that the brokers don't give me deals like, I'm like, I've closed everything I've ever put an offer on. Like I've raised money for other people that have then taken me in. And now I have to take care of those properties now to, to legally do that. Um, but like, I have the ability to raise money and to close, like, what else do you need? You know, I don't get it. So, um, my in has been, um, raising funds and a friend of mine goes, well, don't you think, cause I go, I just want to get back to that point where I get the deal on my hands first. So then I can delegate like who's staying in what lane, like who's doing what, you know, I don't need to do it on every deal, but I just like maybe like one a year where it's like primarily my, my baby, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I was like in my head thinking that that's impossible, not impossible. It's becoming impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then my strength obviously is raising funds and capital. Um, but I'm like, but that's not getting me the deal. You know what I mean? Like other people sure. are getting, deals, I don't get it. Well, he goes, well, don't you think if you had, you know, a bank account or access to accounts of other people's where they're qualified and you've got, say, like an account with 400 million bucks in it. Don't you think you could go to a broker and say, look, bro, I've talked to every single one of these people. Give me a deal, you know? Uh, and I go, oh, yeah, good point. I didn't think of it that way. So um, pretty much bringing those worlds together. And right now uh, it manifested itself as people that I knew from Dubai. Now we're talking about putting a fund together in the next week. Um, it'll take a few months there to have everything perfect. There's so many laws and rules over there. Um, but then basically at that time, actually screw that before then I'm still hunting for, for good deals. So the fund would be a partner like a limited partner in the syndication. Um, and then we can just take down whatever. So awesome. Awesome. Then, then I mean, heck I'm going to have like 10 times the amount of doors I could ever have set a goal for like, but like I would have restricted myself if I did that, you know? So it's like, just let it come, stop seeking. And, and that was 
I had to learn that lesson by meeting some strangers in Spain this summer because I traveled by myself and they were like, look, like you need to like let things come to you and stop like searching and spinning and okay, fine. <laughs> good, good, good advice. Good advice. Thank you for your time, uh, Kaylee. Uh, listeners can, uh, you know, definitely find your podcast, number one leading ladies, uh, where you, uh, you know, interview ex- very successful, inspiring, passionate uh, women entrepreneurs. Uh, you want to mention uh, some uh, some more things about the, your podcast as well? Sure. I mean, that's that's kind of it. If you get on there, and it's number one, like hashtag one uh, leading ladies. And so, if you get on there, if you'll share, like. Um, save it, download it. Um, that would help us because we're about to start um, kicking up the ad spend or promotion of it next month. So far, it's all organic traffic. Um, we have an interview. I don't know when it will be posted, but um, tomorrow I'm having an event with my SEC attorney um, and she is going to be talking about how to dissect uh, PPM documents and operating documents. Sure. It's huge stacks of paper and there are people that want to get into multifamily and, you know, my first deal, that scared him away straight up. That's all, you know. And so she's like, I'm going to break it down, make it easy. But I record that and I will put that on my podcast. So, uh, and on my YouTube channel too. So whether you like video, audio, whatever, it'll be, you go to my website, www.theapartmentqueen.com and it's, it's all there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate your time. And with our podcast as well, we post on many different channels, uh, premium cash flow podcast. Listeners can head on to premiumcashflow.com. And so is our YouTube channels, you know, SoundCloud, all different social media. You know, we have different, uh, uh, you know, promotions from time to time. So I appreciate you uh, sharing your time, uh, Kelly. And we look forward to, I think, uh, learning more about your journey as you do more deals. And uh, I wish you very well. And I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.